We want better schools. We want them now. Stand in our way, and you'll catch these eight black hands with Ankrum, Cole, El Mecky, and Stewart. Join us now for an hour or more of talk on education and culture. Yo, good evening, good evening. Welcome to the 111th episode of the Eight Black Hands. April 11th, 2021. I'm going to do a quick roundabout and, and check on everybody. Brother, promoting self-determination in the lands. How you feeling today? What's going on? I'm doing good, man. That damn audio book is finally out. It is only delayed a amount of months, but... Nobody yes, know. Not. Nobody know. Hell, I know. Uh, I mean, what the, the paperback came out in 19 at this point. I think 2019. So, but nah, man, I'm glad that that's out and uh, just working that. And, and and I dropped a few different things, both on the healthcare side and the education side. So weaning off some of those extra things I was doing and uh, yeah, just working the plan I told y'all about last week. So still doing it. Cool, cool, cool. What's up, Ankrum? How's everything? Man, everything is all good, bro. Um, excited about this show. Excited to to learn. Yo, why yo? yo people, people in the audience, yo, like, damn, give me a break, man. We, can, we, can, we give y'all 111 episodes for But you free. didn't answer the question, though. No commercial, no nothing. And every time y'all come here, y'all, oh, he's, he's glistening. <laughs> he has on two say better. Like what the hell? <laughs> Yo, if you're listening to the show tonight, give it to him all night. Tell him how you really feel, right? Tell him how you really feel. All night long. You know, That's it's right. all good. <laughs> what's up, what's up, Chris Stewart? Citizen Stewart in the land. Man, I'm good, you know. The weekly thing that I say, blessed, families well fed. Mm. Uh, we, we, you know, God works uh, in our lives and, and favors with us. But man, the news everywhere is getting on. It's getting to be. Yeah. We have another active shooter today. Mm. We have uh, we're on pins and needles to find out what's going to happen in Minnesota next week. Mm. You know, with our with this big Chauvin trial. And uh, and we also have a, a another young man. Uh, shot so so not good and plus y'all are making me miss Dante Dante right gotta call that right yeah um we get tired of calling the names out we have a list of names in Minnesota the the public uh, the the America is just finding out about a couple of them right now like two y'all know about two but there's a string of them because we have a problem um and other than that you all are making me miss the country music awards tonight so (laughs) Um, so this better be good. That's all I gotta say. You're trying to take Ray's Republican spot, bro. What's good? What you trying to tell us, bro? He coming, Ray, tell him he can't tell him, tell him and tell him to back up, bro. Ray's not that type of Republican. <laughs> Thank you, Chris. He's not that. He's you know fiscal, right? Fiscal Republican, right? Fiscal. Yeah, he's a fiscal Republican. He's not a cultural Republican. He he don't know any name one country act, Ray. Uh, um, yeah, that's uh, what I thought. Billy, okay. Billy Ray Cyrus. Billy Ray Cyrus. Hey, okay. All right. All right. Uh, moving on. <laughs> moving on for real. For real. <laughs> well, listen, I'm, I'm, uh, you know, glad to, uh, to be able to have our guest on, on this evening. 
uh, Principal Baruti. We'll bring him on in a, in a second. I just wanted to uh, share a little bit about him. You know, one Principal uh, Baruti Kafele, highly regarded urban educator out of New Jersey uh, for more than 20 years. Uh, he distinguished himself as a master teacher and transformational school leader. Um, he was Teacher of the Year in, in his uh, hometown of East Orange, New Jersey. And as a middle and high school principal, Principal Kefele led the transformation of four New Jersey schools, those turnaround schools, changing the culture. When it, people say it can't be done, there's always folks who are willing to do it, um, including uh, the school called the Mighty Newark Tech, which went from the lowest performing school um, to receiving national recognition, mm. um, including by U.S. News and World Report as one of America's best high schools. This brother, Principal Kefele, not only is he, you know, turning schools around, you know, being a dope educator, he's authored 11 books and six of them are, are bestsellers and you know, they range from motivating black males to achieve in school and life to support for the principal and assistant principal. So he has uh, just been doing a lot of work. I first met this brother in San Diego. Uh, he was he was like wowing the crowd with just some practical advice, making sure that they understood their relationships were the center or what should be the center of schools. And unfortunately, we still have to, to preach that on a on a day to day basis. Um, Principal Kefele is the recipient of over 150 educational, professional and community awards. And, you know, we, we're uh, we're excited to have him on because he, he is not only about the the conversation, uh, but he has receipts. He's helped support countless principals, assistant principals, educators and thus supporting the eight million black children in this country. I want to welcome Principal Kefele to the Eight Black Hands, 111th show this evening. Good looking out, brother. Glad you could join us. Glad to be here. You know, I've watched a lot of those episodes, so I'm just honored to be in the space with you for a little while. Well, cool, cool, cool. Well, we everybody checked in, you know, how how you feeling today in general? And um, and then we we want to kind of jump in and and hear from from you, brother. Yes, sir. Well, you know, I'm feeling good. I'm always on fire. But, you know, I do have that verdict on my mind as well. You know, and just, you know, last week was was an eventful week. You know, just a lot went on, starting with with the uh, with the lieutenant, Nazario, and then it just went all the way through. But, uh, mm-hmm. but, but, you know, as an individual, I'm still, you know, I still keep my flame raging. Yeah, no, absolutely. Absolutely. You know, and in the black community, it's always, you know, uh, there are situations where we have to acknowledge what's going on in the moment and we have to push through. Right. And so during this civil war, uh, a lot of black leaders said, hey, amidst the chaos, advance, 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 you know, find ways to move forward no matter what. So that when they when things settle down, you've already advanced the, you know, the uh, the foundations, the pillars, the children. Right. And so. You know, tonight's episode, we really wanted to talk about, like, uh, particularly school leadership. You know, the past year and plus has been, you know, chaotic at least. But for black children in America has been, you know, beyond that. Right. We go from pandemic to endemic to epidemic of of proportions. We're talking about like murder rates in Philly, Chicago and other places. Right. So pandemic, epidemic, endemic, like it's like. 
this is what uh, they're going through all, at all times. So really wanted to just start off like, you know, this idea of leadership throughout all of these chaos leadership. And so would love for you, uh, Principal Kefele, to start off like what is leadership, you know, uh, what does it look like? Le- leadership for liberation in particular, you know, yeah, le- leadership in, in the context of the crises that we're we're dealing with right now. You know, I think about my my 14 years in principal leadership mm-hmm. and and what would how would I be leading right now? And and the short answer is I'd be leading the way I always led. And what that means is that there's no way in the world that as a leader we can draw a line of demarcation between the world outside of school mm-hmm. and the world inside of the classroom. For me, and particularly within the realm of social justice education, for me, the world that that produce youngster and the world that youngster will walk into during the school day are are one and the same. So therefore, there's no separation between the two. It's just that now youngsters in this space called classroom, but but he didn't leave or she didn't leave the world in order to come in here. So now, therefore, I can't take the world outside and, and pretend it's not happening or, or, or have the, or not have the spine to address it or run away from it or deem that it's not relevant. I've got to meet it head on, but in doing so as a leader, I've got to make sure that I've, I've developed a culture and thereby staff who understand that this is who we are and this is what we're about, that we address these issues, that we infuse these issues in every content area that we teach. So whether it be mathematics, science, social studies, language arts, whatever, there's relevance in terms of racial, so, uh, racial, social, social justice issues and curriculum and instruction in the classroom. Mm. Now, you know, it's about six states, I think, that that's trying to uh, micromanage how race is, is spoken about um, in schools. Right. Like and, and saying, you know, and it started with 45. Right. Like, hey, don't talk about, you know, cultural responsiveness or any of that. You know, now it's uh, filtering in the schools. So, right. Like not only do you have principals working directly as, as your direct reports, but you're also supporting other principals. How do you define this leadership for liberation and why is it, you know, both rare and, you know, pervasive in our in our history? I mean, bro, that's a terrible question, yo. <laughs> well, give us a ter- give us a better answer. Then. Give us a better answer. <laughs> How can I give you a better? All right, you're right. All right, so, I mean. Come on, Mr. Superintendent. What does leadership look like, bro? How are you developing principles? How to ensure that leadership is pervasive? Build on Brother, brother Kefele's answer, bro. Let, let's hear you. Stop looking glum. Stop looking glistening and answer the daggone question. Uh, glum and glistening. <laughs> I mean, like, yo, black folks have always been in a place of leadership, in a place of guide, uh, in a place to where they can guide uh, students to, to the to the North Star. I mean, if you think about where we were prior to Brown versus Board of Education, I think that's where it starts in terms of like when you look at black leadership, because we lost so many black leaders post Brown to where we're still kind of rebounding from that. And so if you are in the unique uh, position to be able to lead a school, um, you got to lead with your heart. First of first and foremost, right? Like, you know, I think I think a lot of people move. So I love uh, Principal Cafele's trajectory upward, right? And so when you start as a master teacher, 
and then you work your way up into the principalship, it's kind of like you you lead differently, right? Because like I have a similar trajectory. Whereas, you know, you got folks and, and I'm gonna call them out. Y'all gonna get mad, whatever. No, uh, if, you're, if you're two years, if you're two years in the classroom and then you become a principal, there's no way you could teach me how to be a better teacher, right? There's no way you could coach me on how to be a better asset for kids, right? Mm-hmm. And so, you know, when I hear these stories about folks that have have put in the work, right, that have uh, have, have went through the proper protocols, in my opinion, to become a school leader. And I think that, you know, you really got to put work in in order to get to a place to where, you know, you go into a classroom and you can look at any subject that's being delivered. And even though it may not be your expertise in terms of that subject area, you know what good teaching looks like. You can gauge the classroom to know if students are learning, right, or if students are engaged, right? And so then your conversations don't necessarily become a conversation on content. But 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 it come, becomes a conversation on how you're delivering the content, right? Mm-hmm. And I think that you know that's what's missing in terms of like school leadership and how we bring leadership to the next level. Now, in terms of you know everything that's happening with white Anglo-Saxon pro- Protestants and their uh, plight against uh, critical race theory. I mean, I think that's a whole other show. I saw you on the warpath today. Yeah. I, I saw you on Twitter like, yo, y'all need to read this. You need to read that. I, I hear you. Um, Cole, you've been in proximity to superintendents um, and you're also, uh, you know, just leadership throughout, you know, the sector. So talk about what does leadership mean to you um, and how can it be used as a lever for the eight million? Yeah, I think the best leaders I've seen have done really good assessments and saw what they needed to be. So, you know, um, when we was actually trying to support principals or, uh, you know, get them extra support, see who's going to be where next year, who, you know, evaluate and do all that good stuff, man. I, I would be in some of those meetings. And and the best principals for me were the ones that knew the spots that they needed to fill. Like some schools needed like we call I call them wartime principles and peacetime principles or uh, or we need some that's that needs, you know, it was rare that, I, that we found the unicorn that was just really, really good at both um, like teaching and learning and also culture. Um, so we tried to just kind of see who was at a school or whatnot and 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 kind of, you know, place accordingly. I think that one of the best ways when I'm looking at leadership, though, is somebody that can come to you before you got to come to them. Hey, this is what I need. This is what I need to see. These are my goals. This is my vision. And, you know, I, I have sadly seen a lot of leaders not have a vision, even if they come in and replacing a really good, you know, person and the, and the school's running like a well-oiled machine. Well, it ran like a well-oiled machine with that last person. But with you, you know, you, everybody needs a vision. So I look for, for visionary leaders and I look for evidence of, uh, you know, what are you judging yourself on? You know what I mean? Like, Anytime I'm always nervous when any leader that doesn't want to hold themselves to any kind of standard. Right. Like it, it not even just for us, but for themselves. So those are things that I like to personally see. And I think that that kind of translates across the board in different ways. I'm not, you know, the nuances of stuff. I'm not going to speak out the side of my neck. when We got Ray and we got uh, Principal Kefele here. You know what I mean? Uh, and, and you, Sharif. Uh, but those are the general things that I look for. Uh, when I'm talking about leadership. 
Yeah. And, and let's and let's not forget, like leadership, particularly in a school setting, it's per, you know, it's everybody. It doesn't just have to be the singular figure. You lead a classroom, you're a leader. You're in a leadership team, you're leading. You know, um, Stuart, you as a both as a parent, you see different types of leadership. You've what do we say? Three decades of parenting, um, you know, with school aged children. And you also sat on a board where you are basically the boss of the superintendent right and so talk about like how you've seen leadership and what does it mean to you what's why is it such a game changer for 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 the eight million you know the way that i've seen the need for later leadership to be is for people honestly that could live with dual consciousness because <laughs> to be successful uh, and do the right thing means you have to infiltrate double cross like you and i always talk about and then when you get into these positions you know, uh, if you don't know how to play politics, uh, if you don't know how to inform your community of what they really need to know, but do it on the down low mm-hmm. and know how to uh, um, uh, inform the parents and, and, and kids and people in the community before things blow up, um, you may not be there for a long time. And we need durable principles. We need durable. We need people in leadership roles who will survive and who mm-hmm. can be there and know how to play the white game and know how to play the black game and know how to play the political game. And I think in some ways, man, the more I talk about this and have heard or have talked about this, not just on this show and other shows, it starts to sound like a unicorn because you need a person. I heard you start this off about someone who knows effective teaching and how to coach people to be good teachers. That's one of the jobs, right? Mm. Another job is an effective business manager running a business and organization, right? And then on top of that, you have to be a politician. And on top of that, you have to be a a deeply curious person about things like what's coming down the pipe for pedagogical changes and, and, you know, whatever, man, I've never seen a job that has so many job descriptions wrapped up into one. And it's a shame. What I, well, This is what I've seen from the, as a board member and, and as a parent, um, is when you get a good principal in place like that, who you really trust and can work with as a parent or whatnot, it's a shame to see them get chewed up and spit out by the system because of some political problem. Mm. Or they did something unpopular because now you're without a leader that you had and that you needed and that the kids deserve. Um, I just I tweeted something today that said something like 42 percent of principals want to leave their job. Yeah, I was like, yo, that's that scares a lot. the hell out that's, of me. That's that scares the hell out of me. Like 42 percent. Damn. What'd you say, Ankrum? That didn't scare me. Some of them jokers need to be out of here. <laughs> but that's a lot. When you talk about like that's a lot, though, bro. when you talk about attrition and just school stability which we don't have in so many places. And and then on top of that, like, what's the training? Pro, what's, the, what's the leadership prep program? What is the principal prep program? Uh, and where do you learn? Like, you're not asking them real questions, right? You're not asking them I, what that article did say is why they want to leave. And I bet a lot of them want to leave because they don't want to deal with this teachers union. Yeah, they, they, they ain't got no control over their own building. Right. I think the, I think the good principal is trying to jump in here. I saw him unmute. We see you, brother. Go ahead, B. Yeah. <laughs> no, I just unmuted just so that when you guys do call me, <laughs> but but respond yeah. to that though, because you know it also leads into the the next question I have. But before we jump into that, you know, if you hear that forty two percent of the principals 
are are ready to to bail. What what does that mean to you? What does that signify? And what impact can that have? Again, we keep bringing it back to what impact can that have on children? Well, you, you know, um, as as uh, Dr. Cole was talking about the unicorn, right? Here's here's the thing. If you've got, if you're in a school where you're the only administrator in the building, or you've got one assistant principal, max two, you probably have to be a unicorn. You, you, you have to have an expertise in instructional leadership. You have to have an expertise in finance. You have to have an expertise in school law. And I can go on and on because you don't have other people you can lean on. Now, of course, in the building, you can empower other teachers. But in terms of your role as administrator, yeah, there's a lot of pressure on you. And at the core of that pressure is to keep achievement levels high or to raise achievement levels. So you do have to have an expertise in a lot of areas. And that can burn out a principal very quickly. So when I so, so when I hear and read 42 percent, that doesn't surprise me at all because the because the job is that complicated, you know, particularly when you think about during the times of, of, of a health pandemic and a racial pandemic. Now now you've got this additional pressure to perform, but you've got to do it through those those, those two very unique challenges. Mm-hmm. So it's, it's not surprising for me at all. But I don't think that 42 percent will actually resign. I think that that's just in a survey. 42 percent said, you know, they're that frustrated. Yeah. Man, listen. Hold on. Wait. (laughs) What you got? Hey, listen, folks, this is the perfect time to be a principal. Right. You know why it's the perfect time to be a principal? You don't have any accountability. If you're good. (laughs) You don't have any kind of accountability. You got. Why not? Because statewide, they're canceling state tests, right? They're, you got to opt in to take a test. Come on, we gotta gotta say, is, that, is that the only accountability that we should have? It's not, but I'm just saying, like, there's a whole lot of things that are wrong with the system, man. So we need to touch on those things, too. Don't I mean, I'm just, I'm just saying, principals got a, a lot. I don't think people really understand what principals do. And I think, you know, having Sharif, uh, Principal Kafele uh, and Ray, I think I think we should educate people like people don't know, like the, the complex budget they have to hold. People don't know that there are restrictions on when things can get spent, how they can get spent. People don't know that they just can't be like, yo, you are you are a teacher that are that's harming kids. You're fired. They can't do that. And in, in many situations and cases like I have principals that have coached up parents on how they need to complain so that principal can then go into a set of uh, actions that can then happen or have or teaching parents how to who the ombudsman person is and what that is. Right. I don't really think a lot of people truly understand uh, what principals have to have have to do. And I, I think if y'all could give a it pull that curtain back just a little bit, I did a little, you know, but uh, y'all y'all got more of a nuanced understanding and having to do it. And I think people would appreciate the role that principals have a lot more if they knew. Let me, let me just give my two cents here. When when you're a principal, it's it's like you're 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 leading a a mini corporation, mm-hmm. and if it's a large school, you know, you got schools in different parts of the country, like Las Vegas, for example, in excess of four thousand students. So, wow. we, yeah, we, we're talking about a, a large corp- corporation in that regard. But everything, and, and those of you who are lay people watching this evening, everything about that school falls on your shoulders, everything. If you've got a team of 10 assistant principals, the accountability doesn't rest with them. The accountability rests with you because your name is on the building. So as so so for example, with the budget, 
as was just said, it's it's not a pot of money that comes your way. And now you decide how you're going to spend it. That that money is allocated to different accounts. And you've got you, you've got X, X number of dollars within an account. So you've got to know how to go about spending money tied to the goals of the school. But it's just and in the instructional side in terms of ensuring that that world class teaching and learning is occurring in every classroom throughout the course of the day. Well, as a principal, I'm responsible for that. Again, if, if, if I don't have assistant principals, but I've got 50 teachers in the building, I'm responsible for ensuring that all 50 of them are teaching at a high level in addition to all of my other responsibilities within that building. So it's a lot and it is not, I say this twice, it is not for everyone. I don't care how well you do on a standardized assessment in, in terms of you getting your license, how well you did in grad school, this position is for very special, very unique individuals because it because it's so much to it that, that a whole lot of people just can't juggle all the aspects of, of building leadership. Well, so I want, I want to double down on that because, like you said, something that really resonated for me in terms of just thinking back from when I was a principal and just like how I needed to show up. Like teachers as instructional leaders is extremely important, right? Uh, so much, in fact, that, you know, if, if you are a principal and like you're not tight on your instructional uh, in your leadership, you need to get you need to get some professional development in order to be that principal that you need to be. And I think that a lot of us get in our own way. Like if you if, if there's something that you don't know then you got to build a network of folks that know those things and you got to be humble enough to go to them to say, look, I'm kind of weak on this. Can I come see your school in order for me to get better this way? Can I send some assistant principals in order to shadow uh, shadow you or shadow your assistant principals in order for them to improve or whatever? But I think a lot of times, you know, especially with the ego, uh, we get in our own way and then that hurts kids. So for me, I think one of the things that made me a really good uh, school leader was that if I didn't know something, I was very forthcoming and transparent about what I didn't know, but I was still hungry enough to want to go out and get that knowledge in terms of to be a better school leader for my for my students and families. Mm-hmm. And Principal Kafela and Anchor, both of y'all like described this principal. And I think uh, you mentioned it specifically, Principal Kafela, about, you know, it's almost like a CEO of a corporation. Mm-hmm. Right. And so I, I want to also hear from uh, Stuart and Cole. If it's if the principalship is like that, is almost like the CEO, what have you just seen? What do you think that principals should know? Like what skill set should they bring to the table? All right. Mm-hmm. Ray said clearly instructional piece. You know, uh, somebody said the culture piece. But what is the actual personal skills that you think they should have? If they're the principal of your child's school or a principal of a child uh, that you love their school. What, what are those skills? I mean, I'll just jump in and say, I think like problem solving, Hmm. if you're talking to me selfishly as a parent, um, the ability to solve my problems. Right. So um, so you escalate things when you have troubles with schools. And if you have multiple kids like I do, there's invariably going to come a time where you have issues with staff or with a program or the way something's been taught. And um, and it means a lot when you get when you make that stop between, you know, the teacher and the superintendent, you make that stop at the principal. It makes a lot. uh, uh, It means a lot uh, how in control they are. Uh, in control of the system, the facts, the ability to solve your problem. 
because uh, I'm a constituent. I'm not, I'm not, <laughs> listen, I'm not in the building. We talk about education here every week, but I'm talking as a parent and as an activist, as a community member who will support and help my school in any way possible. But we are going to have a problem at times. And what I want from a, from a good principle, uh, number one is one that can uh, keep, keep the teachers teaching and teaching well. And when something goes wrong, be able to have a solution, be able to, to work it out with us. Uh, Cause we have had to escalate to all levels. Um, but I'm, because I have seen behind the curtain a little bit, I am a little bit sympathetic to the fact of it's one of the only industries, if I'm going to call it an industry where you like, you know, can you imagine the NFL getting hired as a coach and them telling you, you can't pick your team. You can't run your own plays. <laughs> you can't decide to pull somebody in and out. You can't decide what program you're going to run this year. If we can run a ground game or an air game or whatnot. Yeah, it's well, called the Dallas Cowboys. I was about to say, Jerry Jones, <laughs> Jerry Jones said like, nah, this is how we're going to do this. You know? But, but yeah, I mean, it's I didn't mean what I'm saying, right? <laughs> You know. uh, I, didn't, I didn't mean to interrupt you. Go ahead and finish your thought, brother. No, no, but that's yeah. it. That, that's all I was saying was in some ways, uh, I'd love to hear uh, uh, from our principals here, right, who have been around and seasoned and whatnot, because I'm sure, let, let, let me just back up and say this. Minneapolis started a principal's academy once and closed it down at some point. And I believe that the reason that they shut it down was because they figured out after a couple of years, they didn't know anything about producing good principals. Mm. <laughs> so like they literally had outside help and figured out, we actually don't even know what goes into to creating a good principle. That's scary. That's scary. That's scary, isn't it? Let me get my inadequate answer out the way so we can let these 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 other three gentlemen who are experts in their field get up there. And y'all should be reaching out to all three of them if you need some help. If you need your school tightened up, you better get in Mr. Cole's DMs. And before you before you answer, Cole, I want to add this this uh piece. Just say this ahead, quote, and then please incorporate it in your answer. Okay, so, just go ahead and add on to my poor answer. Uh, go ahead, brother. Just no, water no. it down some more. <laughs> no, this is this is good. So Ray of or Chris, I don't know. They always put in these articles that are like just they they raise my blood pressure. But this little girl's hair was cut. We talked about the boy, the wrestler, a couple of years ago whose hair was cut in the middle of a match. This is a baby by the referee. This, this is a, a little baby, what kindergarten, first grade, or something, Oof. right? But the principal calls. They finally, the parent tries to reach the principal. The principal, they told him, principal on spring break, he'll call you in a week. Like something that massive. I'm on vacation. I don't care, right? Like, and then when they call, they're just like, don't don't take your kid out. They're fine. They're safe. And, you know, do you want us to write I'm sorry cards? So I want you to respond to that, Cole, so on top why, of why everything else. me that? Like, like so first because. off, okay, I, I got you, because I love you, Sharif. Uh, I almost echoed the sentiment from, from, from young Ray over here and, and said that's a horrible question. I see what Ray be talking about, though. You just be bombing <laughs> us. I was ready to answer. But uh, I would say this, man. Uh, first off, Everybody in this is foul and out of order and everybody would have caught hands that day and people would have needed bail money. If the principal and unless it was the principal secretary who didn't know everything going on and said that on his or her behalf, that's different. But if the principal said that and you did this to my baby, somebody getting dragged. I'm going to find you. I'm going to find you on on spring break. Um, So that was just totally inappropriate and not okay. Uh, But that's 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 a lot of but there are some principals in schools that that don't respect their parents. It's just it's just very, very true. And I don't think that the public truly knows. Like, I think that they hear it, but I don't think they truly know 
from we do from being in those backdoor conversations. To answer your original question, though, just around the things that a principal needs to have, I would say that's that's a harder question to answer. I like where Chris went, but first, I just need you to be a good analyzer of a situation. You need different schools need different things. Think of each school as a kingdom in a land and some kingdoms are are having good crop and and there's good things happening and you don't really need to mess with much and some places need a complete overhaul so i want a principal a principal should have a really strong discernment skill of discernment and who they need uh, but when i was younger it used to have a vice principal i think they for the most part gotten rid of vice principals in favor of deans or APs. So in Oakland, there's a formula. You have to have X amount of students for your school to qualify for an AP. Mm. If you don't have an AP, what somebody like I would do in the superintendent's office would help you get what's called a TSA, which is a teacher on special assignment. So Mm. you normally hire a TSA. I want a principal smart enough to say, these are my gaps. So I need this TSA to do X, Y, and Z. But if you don't have that type of logic, if you're not coming, if you... The worst mistake a principal can make in my experience is somebody who's a little arrogant, a little too eager to, to please and comes in and starts making changes and saying stuff and don't meet with the right people. Don't meet with the right parents, because let me be real. Every school got a group of parents that run shit. Every school got a group of teachers or administrators that's been there for a long time. And you just really need to know who those people are. So I think that those kind of unnamed skills are very important. So when you're interviewing for principals, which I've done before, I'm asking a series of questions. I'm giving out different scenarios. So I know, you know what? Principal A might be a good fit for site A, B, or C. They're not really too good for D, E, F, and G. Um, And I, I know I got really technical, but I used to do that work. So um, I'm gonna let the real principals and the real folks answer now, but Sharif, hopefully that sufficed around what I would look for. The biggest thing is discernment. And I'm assuming that they were a good teacher. I am assuming that they know how to do budgeting and finance. And I am assuming that they are ready to step into that role of principal at the most general level. That's a lot of assumptions being made. Yo, real quick before you go on, right? Shout out to Nehemiah Frank, bro, in Black Wall Street for covering that uh, that that article right there. It was hella dope. It was written well, and yo, he did his thing. He did his thing. He did his thing. Appreciate it. No, yeah. So, to, yeah. I, and, and just my question to the principals as y'all go on, Reef, and y'all take it. Principal you know, Capella, uh, you up first on this one. Did that make sense? Y'all let me know if that if that answer made sense to y'all as the people that sit in those seats. No, it made, it made a lot of sense. Um, and since you gave that sort of answer, I'm, I'm going to give it more of a macro type of answer. Mm-hmm. Reef, initially, you, you talked about leadership for liberation. And I've been kind of stuck there since you said it. Um, I'm thinking about the macro, the culture of a building, the culture of a school. Mm-hmm. And, and in shaping a culture of a school, that means we're going to transform the thinking, the, the, the outlook of a lot of folks in the building. And in this case, I'm talking about staff. So if, if someone, for example, just had, had an, an inclination for some kind of undesirable behaviors, I'm, I'm, I'm going to know that from the outset as as we're looking at this culture we're determining what is what is our purpose as a school what is our mission as a school what is our vision as a school because when we talk about leadership for liberation and in my case 
we're talking about always the, all the schools I led and all the schools I've taught were always black. And one of them had a, had, 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 had a smaller population of Latinx students. So we're talking about a, a, a school where I've got to prepare black children, black and brown children for a real world. Mm. It's out here. So 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 I can't do it in a traditional sense. Right. I can't do status quo. So 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 I've got to undo, unravel most of what teachers are bringing into a classroom, particularly teachers who grew up in a bubble that's very different from the bubble that my children grew up within. Right. So 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 now you got two different worlds coming together in a school. And in so many cases, you got a teacher it doesn't understand or even know the children that he or she services. So when you talk about a situation like a teacher cutting the hair of a, of a child, mm. it's probably because you got a teacher in there that, that has no clue as to what his or her role may be in that setting. Particularly, again, going back to that language of liberation or even revolution, right? I'm on, let me just give you this example. One of the schools I led was just a, a traditional middle, middle public school. And I decided that I needed something that was African centered. So I went to the superintendent. And when I say something African centered, let me be a little bit more specific. I needed the children to see themselves in the learning, but I needed the teachers to know who that was sitting in those classrooms historically and culturally speaking. So I went to the superintendent and said, I need to do just that. I need curriculum and instruction to speak directly to the students that are enrolled in this school. Mm -hmm. So we went on and did it. We, we, we wrote curriculum. We infused courses in African-American history and, and comedic studies. And, 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 and it transformed an entire school culture. So now that school is not what it used to be because we're looking because we're all looking at the building through a different set of lenses. So, so, so the reality becomes very much different. So now those kind of behaviors, those, be, those sort of behaviors are not going to manifest in that environment because we've got control mm -hmm. over or influence over what the culture of this building is coupled with the climate of the building. So it's, so it's being proactive in getting in front of it so that I don't have to react to it later. But again, it's the unraveling. It's the undoing and then it's the molding and the shaping of folks who are in a school building in the inner city in an urban environment that know nothing about that world because that's not the bubble that they were raised in. Mm. So, so when I see things like that, I'm not surprised by it because I understand that, that, that you got folks in schools that don't know the world mm. that they're working in now. Mm. Ankrum, Superintendent Ankrum. Which is, right. but wait a minute, let me add this, add this piece. Let me, no. <laughs> I love doing this to you. You got a curveball for Ray. Go ahead. No, no, no but, it, but it's for real. I, I was talking to Chris the other day. If, as far as public schools, there are only 100,000, give or take, principals, public school principals in this country. If we can't get that right, <laughs> you know, and it goes back to that, how are we going to get the three million plus teachers right? Like how if we can't train and develop and support 100,000 of any group, they can all fit in Michigan's football stadium. If we can't develop that. So, right in your in your answer, please also share like how you, you know, develop folks if they don't have or how much do they have to come to you with where you're like, all right, I could work with this principal. Uh, 
Man, so um, that's a very complicated answer. Like on surface, it seems like it seems like it's simple, but it's not. And like I guess in terms of how I approach how I approach leadership, it's kind of changed and evolved over time. Okay. What I mean by that is, um, you know, before if you were black and you had credentials or whatever, then like I was trying to get you in the door, right? Because like I felt like, you know, just 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 us looking like each other alone was going to be better for teachers than folks that don't. But I learned a hard ass lesson by doing that. Mm. Not everybody that's black needs to be in front of kids. <laughs> right? And that's going to be a very unpopular to, to folks that are listening to this. But you, you know, just as much as you have to screen other folks in terms of being uh, in front of kids or who's, who's the best person to be in front of children, you also have to screen your own people in terms of who's the best, who, who's the best to be in front of kids as well. Like, I mean, like I, I you know, in terms of, you know, the 1.7%, man, when I see a black man come and interview, my eyes just glow, right? Because like, I know the unicorn effect. And then I know the after effects that that could have on students, right? Being able to see kids, be able to being able for kids, being able to see leader, uh, teachers that look like them, the research, calls it out, man, it's exponential in terms of like the impact that it could have. But I also look at the other side of the research, right? And how much damage it could do if that's not the right person for the fit mm. in terms of like, you know, how how kids should be looking at teachers and like how teachers should be conducting themselves and whatnot, you know, as pillars of the community. When I grew up, man, like every teacher that was in my town was revered when they went to church. They taught Sunday school and they just did all these other things that made my community look up to them and like put them on a pedestal. Right. Like I still think about these folks to this day. I still think about the impact that they had on my life in terms of being a teacher. And that's what drove me into education. It's like I wanted to be that person for other people. Right. And so when I did when I felt like the impact that I was having wasn't enough, then that kind of spiraled my trajectory into leadership. So because I felt like, damn, if I can get more of me in the door then like the amount of impact that that could have on students would be amazing. But I just don't see that many of me walking through the door. And so like, you know, to answer your question, it's like, man, I want to coach people up. I think coaching people up is the, the, the most important thing that you can do as a school leader, but you got to be open to being coached, right? We got too many folks, white, black, Latino that come in the door and they think that they know everything because they went to an established principal education program or whatever. And then when they come in and they're around people that are outside their bubble, they don't know shit, bro. Mm -hmm. And it's like, it's like, it's like, a, it's like four years of educating them all over again, only for them to get tenured after the fourth year and go right back into that mode that they go into when they get tenured. I don't know if y'all want to talk about that, but yeah, yeah. Hey, can, uh, I, can, I, can I just? No, please do. That? Go ahead. Yeah. You know, um, this I keep going back to that unicorns, uh, unicorn statement. Um, that individual, you know, the 1.7 or 1.5, whatever it is in terms of the, the, the percentage of black men in education. But I'm still going to vet this individual. But but in vetting this individual, I'm also I'm also going to coach him during that interview, because that that language of liberation is my language in an interview. Like 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 we're doing something very different here. We're doing something very special here. So I need you to understand that. Right. Because if you're, if, you're, if you're looking for something that's traditional, this is not a good fit for you. We're trying to do something revolutionary here. So I'm going to be upfront with the candidate 
during that interview and, and, and let the let the individual know. So therefore, there, there will be that, that support. There will be that coaching that will there will be that professional development and there will be that accountability because I need you to be phenomenal. Because I got I got children in this school who are dependent upon that. So so again, going back to that role of the principal, mm-hmm. that's part of the principal's job, right? Mm-hmm. And so so it's so it's so much this on the principal's plate because because the instructional side is such a major component, but it's not the only component. But yet I've got to be conversing in that area, nevertheless. And that's and that's including taking that brother that came in for that interview and letting that brother know, look, we're doing revolutionary things. We taking these kids to heights that are previously unimagined. Do you think you can handle that level of accountability? Just and, and, and we can just be up front. And if not, then I'm going to have to look for somebody else. But but also keep in mind. A lot of those future black teachers are sitting right in those schools. Mm-hmm. I created a future teacher, future educators of America uh, uh, chapter as the principal that I led. So now we're meeting on a weekly basis. We're going to conferences on uh, uh, future educator conferences. And at the time, I thought I'd never leave the last school I was in. I thought I was going to stay there until I retired. <laughs> a lot of those young people are, pre- are teachers now. And the biggest regret I have from leaving North Tech was that I could have hired a lot of them to teach under me. And, and, and their training didn't start in undergraduate school. Their training started in grades nine through 12 through me. They're sitting right in these schools, but it's just a matter of how we go about recruiting them while they're young and getting them interested in education. And then and then all the way through until we can offer them a job later on. Well, so I'm, I'm glad you gave them that training from nine to 12 because they ain't get shit in undergrad. <laughs> right. <laughs> well, I got an unpopular thought. Jump in there. <laughs> bro like listening this all sounds good but looking at the twin cities this is what i could tell you i could tell you for a fact it has been my experience that hiring black principals uh makes zero difference in terms of uh achievement uh whatever and i'm saying this as a person who can name school by school by school our principals and i'm not gonna call people out on this show but i'm just gonna say couple of them have become famous for poverty porn, you know, anti-achievement uh, language. You working with down, you so, down poverty porn before you move on. Where they will, they will run schools where they're getting no outcomes. And suddenly once they stop getting outcomes or they don't have the outcomes that they want, they turn super radical and start saying outcomes don't matter. Mm. What really matters is our kid need to eat and we need to get them some food. They don't need to learn how to read and blah, blah, blah. And don't look at my outcomes. And we don't, you know, what we got a whole at- congressman that ran on that platform. Yeah, we have a whole system of principals, black and white, that that run on that, uh, uh, run their entire work on that. And we also have a bunch of scary. So when I hear things like uh, revolutionary and uh, uh, um, principals that want to change the game and be transformative for the culture and for, for black folks or whatnot, mm-hmm. um, our system rewards uh, Negro peons. Like our system rewards, uh, it, it rewards mild Negroes, right? It really does. And I'm like saying this just so. What's a mild Negro and what's a, a Negro peon? The ones who will complain about stuff under their breath, but never say anything publicly when, when they know that the district is jerking them around or jerking their kids around or the school around, whatnot. Radical parents, uh, radical principals leave. 
That, that's the point I'm trying to make. Like if a principal really is about their business and trying to come in and make a real difference for black children in the Twin Cities um, with these majority minority schools that we have, they are either going to be gone soon or they're going to have to fight a good fight and stand their ground. And over time, you'll see like dialysis. Like like new blood will come in and old blood, but but the blood that goes out is good blood, <laughs> and the new and the new blood that comes in is bad blood because you get these mild Negroes who, um, some like I'll give you a couple of just straight up examples. You'll have a principal who sits in her office all day long, and and nobody in the building ever sees her, and will yep. get away with that for three four years. As long as as long as nothing pops up or whatnot, you will get a, get away with that. When you start trying to do something for your black students is when you start getting attention. Absolutely. Go ahead. Go ahead. I'll jump in after you. Go ahead. I, I, I'll be quick. No, nah, you're the guest, brother. You go as long as you need to. That's right. <laughs> see, see, mm-hmm. see, principal, I, you know, the, that's not unique to Minnesota, by the way, or Minneapolis. That's that's national. Right. But, but, but here's the thing. Both both scenarios. In fact, but here's the thing. I was I was that guy. Right. But 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 I had the wherewithal to connect with the community before stuff hit the fan. Because because my my theory is this: if you're good, you're going to you're, you're going run into problems at some point. Like when you think about the people that you and I study in history, right? The people we study, the people the people that we admire, are the ones who went against the grain. Mm-hmm. We, we 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 don't typically fall in love with the ones who were just upholding the status quo. We look we we fall in love with the ones who were in, who were effectuating change. So so here, I'm in the district. I I know I'm gonna run into problems <laughs> because because of the way I lead. But I had the wherewithal to forge solid relationship with parents and community. So when the stuff finally did hit the fan. And it hit it. I mean, it, it hit it in a way that I was the biggest news story in the New York City market, right? So it hit the fan, and and, and suspension was coming. It came immediately, and termination was coming the following week. But the parents said to me, "We got, got you. Back. We got your back. Sit home and chill." That's what they, I mean. That's the language they use. They say, "Sit home and chill. We got this." Mm-hmm. So, when the, so when the termination board meeting came. That Wednesday, this is going, this is years ago in 2004, I went to my hearing and I spoke, but my wife and I could barely get into the parking lot because people from all the way from New Jersey, New York, and Philadelphia had had just crammed it and the students were out protesting. So when I got up and spoke and said what I had to say, they said, you report back to work tomorrow unanimously because they didn't want to fight that monster. Meaning, meaning community and parents, they say hands off. But but as principal, if 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 you don't have the wherewithal to forge solid relationship with the community, solid relationship with the parents, then 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 your day is coming. <laughs> I can tell you that right now. I don't care who you are this watching, your day is coming. You 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 you're gonna get somebody upset politically and they're coming after you. But if can, you can I add something to that though? Just like because I agree with this point, but I just and I don't know what you would say about this. So I'm really just like jumping in on your point and to have you continue on it just for a second. Okay. Just just one of our worst performing principals does a great job at that. 
One of our worst performing principals has went out and forged some of the best relationships with the press, the media, the community, and with parents. And um, um, whenever gets called on the hot seat for something very specific, pulls out the the ignorant army, not not the good army. But so so. On one hand, I feel like what you're saying should be true for all principals. They should do a good job of creating uh, community relationships and building relationships because relationships are key. They, they make everything go round. Mm. But it could be used for good and it could be used for evil, in my experience here locally. Like because when I tell you we are not getting results in the majority of our schools. I can't name a school in Minneapolis where I think actually they're getting results, where they actually where they have a coherent educational philosophy where the teachers are all on board and where they are actually producing a predictable result with students in terms of growth or gains year over year. I can't name a single school in Minneapolis. Mm. Minneapolis is struggling. It, I mean, it has for a long time and they, they've gone through various different superintendents. I'm, you know, I'm familiar with the district. I've done work with the district, but not, you know, not individual schools. Come back. I just, <laughs> Come back. I'd love to. I'd love, I'd love to. You know, I think yeah. I figured it out. I think I figured it out with <laughs> us, with this podcast. And like when we hear those terms, because three out of the four of us, we're social workers. And in the social work job, you got to make sure people fed and you got to hit your goal. So, yes, make sure they got their basic needs met. But what's going on with that reunification plan? What's, what's going on with that? Right. And I kind of wish, you know, being able to work as a social worker and also in the healthcare and education. I wish that there were things in education that mirrored that of healthcare. And this is what I mean. Like when we're hiring for a prince for a president of a hospital, which is essentially the principal for a school or whatnot. Not only do they have to have their credentials, we also get to check their dossier to see all the residencies that they had. Right. Like what if there was principal residencies and, and like when mistakes happen at our hospitals, those doctors have to go in front of other top of the line doctors and go through exactly what happened. And then those doctors talk, you know, they, they give you your thing. Like if a principal is struggling or has an issue or whatever you're going through, uh, Chris, what you just mentioned, what if that principal had to go in front of other principals and lay out their full books and show it and be like, you know, I did this. This is what I did. This is what the goal was or whatever the case is. One of those professions has a malpractice insurance that one has to get and the other one doesn't. And I think that, you know, we keep we talk about there was a time where our educators were on par with doctors and medical folks and things of that nature. And I think as we want to get back to that place, I think that some of those practices don't hurt to pick up again. I, I just truly don't see it. And I think also because there's a difference between you can be the best doctor all time, got crazy, crazy credentials. But there's a difference between urban medicine and country club private insurance medicine. There's just a difference in what you have to do and what you got to know. And I think the same can be said for principals, right? You could be the you could be a principal that came from an amazing. Uh, we've been doing this bit for a minute. You could have came from Cranbrook, like on Eight Mile, right, and been in a white neighborhood and doing great. But it's different when you're in a different type of environment because we talk about this on this show. It's easy to manipulate parents like that, Chris. If those parents are not fully conscious and aware of what they deserve versus them comparing to what they've gotten in the past. So if I've gotten dog shit in the past and I'm getting something that's a little bit better than what that is, maybe I love that. Maybe I'm there. But if you see a, a, a school with the same type of students, with the same type of money situation and they're learning at tenfold and those kids are doing all kind of work by themselves and kind of leading. I think that those parents for that particular principle that you mean, Chris, I think that they'd have a bit more demands. 
hardest part of the job is, is, is really convincing people that they deserve better. But it's hard to demand better if you've never seen or experienced better. And normally, if you was broke like a lot of us on this show, you didn't come up in, except for fucking Sharif, who grew up with like tight class, you know, grade A education. You know what I'm saying? It's really hard to discern if you a parent and you just trying to make sure your kid is safe and happy. My mom never knew what a good classroom looked like. She asked me, did my name get on the board and am I getting good grades? She didn't know if there were supposed to be goals or none of that stuff. And so that's why I'm obsessed with parents and students knowing Yo, your teacher's supposed to show up like this. Your principal's supposed to show up like this. And I think mm. those demands change over time. Mm. Real, real quick, real quick. If Go I, ahead, if and I, then I want to pivot a little bit. Go ahead. All right, so I got I got a response for this this person right here. It says there's a charter school here in New Orleans that brought back a failing principal. Andre Perry's back, y'all. In, oh, in New Orleans. <laughs> What? <laughs> <laughs> Secondly, right? If you if you are if you are superintendent, oh, if you if you if yo, because like we're talking about the principalship, but then we also got to talk about the superintendency as well. You know, if you're a superintendent, you better know how to count. And what I mean by that is, when you get into that board meeting, you better know who's for you, who's really for you, and who's against you. Meaning, who's really against you? Because at the end of the day, you implement some kind of policy or whatever, and uh, and you got you know you you got more folks against you than you got for you, and that's going to be your ticket out the door. So know how to count if you're a superintendent. Mm. One of the things that that has come up a couple times, I think each of you have mentioned it in in some aspect or or another, you know, but like what, so if we know that the principal, uh, and, and I think Angram called this out directly, the principal prep program or the leadership prep program, if, you, if we know that's not, not going well, then the principal was in the building and Ray, you just brought it up. So, you know, this idea of the principal supervisor, like whose job is it to coach a principal? Like ultimately everybody should be coached and being coached and being reflective, coaching themselves, learning on their own, but there still should be someone who's responsible for ensuring that they are getting better. Right. And Absolutely. so I want to start off with with that. Ankrum, can you like you you yeah. raised that? And I think it was really important. I don't want us to just brush by that. Yeah. And then no, no. Uh, Principal Kefele, if you can jump in there, too. Yes, sir. Uh, so so in terms of coaching principals, it's really good to have a superintendent that has had school leading uh, experience. Uh, someone that has been in the trenches that can, you know, kind of coach you through the things that you need to be coached through in terms of that. But, you know, if you're running, if you're, if you're running a, a large school district and you're a CEO of a large school district, it's really important for you to have an assistant superintendent that has had that type of experience because, you know, it, a lot of times what we, what we get, what we convolute the facts that, you know, if a person is a CEO of a school district or whatever, and it's a large school district, and they're not going to be able to go in to coach every principal. Like if you have a smaller school district, then you may have the liberties of being able to be that particular coach for a principal, but more than likely you won't uh, as, as a CEO or as a superintendent. So it's really good to have people that are under you that understand exactly what those marching orders are in terms of like effective coaching uh, for principals. But one thing I, I think that needs to happen in terms of like, you know, when, when someone is done with a principal leadership program is that um, they need to be assigned a mentor. Like that needs to be mandatory. Mm-hmm. Right? To be someone that has skin in the game in terms of like, you know, what they've been able to accomplish or what they haven't been able to accomplish. Because for me, I learned the most from people that 
do it wrong <laughs> because then I, it makes me it, what it, not to do. It, huh? it, it, it tells me what not to do. Right. And so, you know, it, it, it principles. I got a whole notebook full of that. Like, uh, yeah. I ain't doing that. I ain't doing that. <laughs> Am I listening to you talk? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> That's my feedback for principles. <laughs> that was cute. That was cute. Principal what what you got? Yeah, you know, I have walked away from um, four superintendent positions. Um, I've never wanted to be one, but I had districts that wanted me to be one. So I went and got certified, even though I didn't want the certification. And I sat in on these interviews. And in every one of those interviews I sat in on, I told the board members, I said, you know, if you hired me, I want you to understand up front that in the mornings, I'm never going to be in this central office ever. If you were to hire me, then I'm going to spend from seven till noon in schools, different school every day, because the most important person in the district from the from the vantage point of the superintendent is the principal. As, as important as the children are, which is a given, the most important person for me is the principal. And I can't leave that principal from central office. So although as, as, as Anklin just said, I can't be in every school every day, and particularly in a large district. One of the things that I would do, as I've said all the time, but but walked away from those positions, so perhaps we'll never know, but I'm 60, so I still got time to make a decision. Just up in there. Jump back in there. But, but, I'll, but I'll say this to you. I will meet with those principals at least once a week, right? And I don't mean principal meetings now. I mean professional development. I will meet with those principals. In fact, I'll meet with principals and assistant principals at least one time a week. And now with this with this new phenomenon called Zoom, I don't necessarily have to have them in my office anymore because I can do it right here. But I'm going to have a face to face with principals because that training has to be ongoing with them so that I can know confidently when I put my my head to the pillow at night that I got top notch people leading each school in the district. Yeah, appreciate that. Well, look, we're going to wrap into our final thoughts. Loved, um, you know, Dr. Cole, why don't you start us off and we'll we'll end with our principal Kefela. Yeah, one, just thank you to our amazing guests for being here, man. You did a great job and I, I really enjoy listening to you and hopefully you can come back at some point. And if y'all not, y'all should go follow and support that brother. Um, <clears throat> you know, from from my standpoint, man, I just want you as a parent and as a student to know just more about what these roles are. And, and and I think that the principal left us on a good note, just talking about the superintendent role. That role ain't for everybody either. You know what I mean? Like there are some people that never want to do that. There are some districts that will hire the business person because just so you people know, this is why it's so much craziness around education. School districts tend to be the number one, two or three job provider in a given city. That means it's not just teachers, it's not just educators, it's janitors, it's grounds people. It's, it is an economic center in the middle of your city. And there comes with that comes a lot of politics or whatnot. I just want you all to know what that means and how valuable, how valuable your kids are to that system. Because if you all pull your kids out of it, that whole system struggles and damn near collapses. Uh, when we talk about this and what we want from a leader, I want somebody with vision. I want somebody that knows who they are. And I want somebody that's okay with having to walk away. Uh, 
Listen, man, the, the average superintendent in an urban area lasts less than it's about three years at this point. You know what I'm saying? And there's a reason for that. I've, I've been there and I watched it. So parents and students, this stuff ain't as foreign or as far away as you think it is. Keep asking questions. Keep talking about what you deserve. Keep pushing for it. Um, and when you do have somebody that's dope, like the Sharifs, the Rays, uh, the Principal K's, um, like, you know, let them know. Let them know. Um because a lot of time they don't get to see those victories. A lot of the development, a lot of things that last and land, these people going to have impacts that ain't going to hit those kids until 10 years later. And they're not going to be around to see it. So if you got somebody that's dope, you lucky, you blessed, because everybody ain't got that. If you got somebody that's dope and your kid is learning and your kid is on grade level and your kid looks like the people up here, you got a unicorn. And they call unicorns for a reason. So mm-hmm. with that being said, thank you all for being with us tonight. I appreciate that. Citizen Stewart, what you got? Close. Um, Well, first of all, thank you to our guests for coming tonight. Um, And my thank you isn't empty or or vapid in any kind of way, because what I think, you know, what I would just finally what I would want to say to wrap tonight is that we have to support. Uh, all people that are trying to do right by our children, but we specifically have to support our leaders and specifically our leaders who are conscious, who have a plan and a program for producing results and who have stood the test of time, who have receipts. Um, we we do so much celebrating of black success and everywhere else, except from the place that's closest to the intellectual development of our children. So when it comes to people that are getting the job done for us, black men specifically, too, because because uh, I spent all last week trying to to um, to beat up on the narrative that we're just black men just aren't showing up and that we're not present. We're not present as fathers. We're not present as you know good citizens. We're not present uh, within education and the education of our kids. So. Uh, on a night like tonight with this group of black men that we have assembled with this specific topic, it just calls out for me, support black principles, support principles to be their best, hold them in some sort of Christian accountability, which means not just gotcha accountability, but accountability that we're going to work together. Uh, I'll support you. You support me. Um, You're going to tell me the truth when the system is doing wrong by my children. I'm going to tell you the truth when uh, when you're the problem. You're going to tell me the truth when I'm the problem. But we're going to have respect and love and understanding for the fact that we have a 400 year battle that's not over yet. We're we're not free. Like Mm -hmm. so. So we it takes all hands on deck. So so we we don't have any choice but to be family. We're all in the same boat and it's got holes in it all over the place. So hold up your leaders. Hold up the ones that are getting something done. Don't let the press, the media, groups of privileged parents, people who don't like what a, a hard charging principal is doing. Don't let them win. Don't let don't let don't let these brothers sit out here by themselves. Brothers and sisters sit out here by themselves. I'm not an educator. I'm not in a school. I don't run a school. But what I can do is I can be your damn good ally. You get some trouble. You get into some trouble. Uh I have a very specific set of skills that might come in use for you. So let's support them. Cool. Soup, closing yeah, thoughts. Education Terminator right there. That was, that was <laughs> the scariest shit I heard all night. I got a special set. Go ahead, bro. <laughs> Taken. That was a threat. <laughs> Sorry, Ray. A couple of things, right? Mm. Um, the first thing is, uh, for those of you that have started watching them, 
Uh, don't watch that shit. It's terrible. It. Don't do it. For those of you that have started watching them, don't do it, right? I'm so glad I'm so protective of my time. Like, <laughs> Secondly, secondly, uh, shout out to a parent of mine, uh, Josie Ward. She um, she has a son and a daughter that are alums of, of our school, both attending college. And she has a, a current middle schooler. And she reached out to me today randomly and was like, Ankum, you can't leave. And I was like, I, I don't plan on leaving. She was like, yeah, but even if you did plan on leaving, you can't leave because, mm-hmm. because your, your leadership and you being out on Long Island is much bigger than you. And what she was trying to say is, you know, there are not that many people that are in the positions that I'm in on Long Island. Mm-hmm. So the mere fact that I'm able to be out and have this forum in order for people to see us and see what we're doing, to see that we're capable of doing this kind of work uh, is, is going to be the key to opening a door for, for some soup in the future. So I appreciate uh, her for saying that. Preemptive, um, preemptive Ms. Joseph. Right. Yeah. Uh, and then the last thing I want to say is that, uh, and we're not, we're not talking about this because this is probably going to be the elephant in the room. But let's imagine, uh, let's, first of all, you know, the conversation about reimagining education is an extremely important uh, conversation to have. Hmm. But I just want to think about the amount of teachers that slid into tenure because of COVID grace. Right? Because of COVID grace. Hmm. So you're going to have people that are in front of your kids next year that have no business being in front of your kids and they're immovable objects in terms of getting them out of that space because they've slid into tenure through COVID grace. That's what I'll leave y'all with. Wow. Wow. Principal Kefele, in your closing thoughts, if you can also just make sure folks know where they can find you. Okay. Oh, and shout out to the guests. This is the second time Principal Cafele has been on one of our podcasts. He was, on, he was on the Engage podcast with the, with the principals, and now he's here. Shout out to you, God. Appreciate <laughs> and that. All uh, you know that that COVID grace you talked about, man. I, I hadn't even considered that. That's, yeah, it is. Yeah. yeah that, that that wasn't on my radar. It is now, but that that's frightening. But you know, last thoughts. Um, you know, we're talking to leaders and, and, and just, you know, leadership for liberation. And I'm thinking that as a leader, equity has to be at the forefront of your practice. Equity has to be at the forefront of your mind, everything about who you are as a leader. And and when I think about equity, the, the, the most salient areas for me are the, the individuality of every youngster in that building. Every youngster matters. Every youngster is special. But the student's cultural identity, it matters because it can be no, I mean, the color blindness and culture blindness must be eradicated, but also student voice. And when I say voice, not only the ability to express oneself, but the ability to find oneself within Mm -hmm. that classroom finding my voice it may not be the voice that carries me through the rest of my life but i'm but i'm but i'm on a trajectory to find who that is inside but in addition to that cultural relevance so that as i said before youngsters see self in the learning coupled with cultural responsiveness in terms of those relationships between teacher and students and finally social justice education we can't run away from it. Mm. It's got to be inherent in that school. In terms of glo- uh, getting in contact with me, Principal Cafele, 
Com. But the website will show you all that. Yeah. No, I appreciate you. Appreciate all your work in the, in the space, you know, um, across the country, in schools, with principals, with assistant principals, which we really didn't get a chance to talk about. Um, but just want to uh, end also with with thanking you for for being on and thanking my brothers for, uh, you know, just chiming in. You know, leadership in a school is very similar to leadership in other places. Uh, you have to, you know, uh, hold yourself accountable. You have to know your why. In this society, you have to, if you're preparing kids for the future and and for today, then we know that we are in a racist, inequitable system. So how are children being supported and prepared for that, right? Like it is hella hard to to, uh, to fight against racism if you're illiterate, right? There, there's that Oak, Oak Town uh, uh, lingo, right? I Cole? see you, bro. I, I, see, I see you, brother. I, still, see you. I, st- I, still want, I still want proof that that's where it came from. It definitely right? came from there. Don't try, to, don't, 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 right. don't try to give Philadelphia credit for our slang. Bro. We're not going to do this. We're not going to do this tonight. We're not going to do this. Yeah. The, um, the other thing is like, you know, knowing your why and, and, you know, being holding yourself accountable and being embracing other people, soliciting other people to hold you accountable. Right. And so I think that accountability uh, is peace. And it's not just, oh, I hold myself accountable. Like, no, nah, it, it should be a, a full circle, 360 degree feedback where you are getting it from students, families, colleagues, supervisor, other principals, teachers, leadership team. And you should say, like, how am I doing? How am I showing up? How do you experience my leadership? Um, And then the last piece, you know, uh, is really being fearless, right? Like in order to be anti-racist, that means you have to be fearless. And I want to shout out to the young principals I came up with, with like Chris Johnson and and, uh, Aaron Stark and Sheila Mallory and all his like Salone Thomas L, where they were like, they were fearless, like, hey, don't be afraid to get fired on behalf of kids, right? Because if you're anti-racist, if you're fighting for equity, if you're leading for liberation, then be prepared for for folks to come at you. But as you as we all said, like the community will stand by you if you're doing right by the children that they send to you. You've been listening to the Eight Black Hands, the 111th episode, and we're grateful that you are here with us. Please continue to chime in and give us your feedback. Share your comments and and uh, and share the episode. Thanks again. You have been listening to the Eight Black Hands podcast with Ankrum, Cole, El Mecky, and Stewart. If you like what you heard, follow us on Twitter. Our handle is at Eight Black Hands One. Thank you for listening.